Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, Monday Night Football goes to the Rams. They beat the Cardinals. Arizona had the best record in the NFL. Now they are tied for the best record in the NFL. Got three teams on 10-3, and three, and they all live in the, in the uh, NFC. Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Arizona, because of the tiebreakers in that order. Packers, Bucks, Cardinals are now 1-2-3. If the Green Bay Packers went out, and they do not have a particularly daunting schedule, if they went out, they're going to be the number one seed, and the playoffs are going to go through Green Bay again. Now, it didn't pay off a year ago, but it could. And a conference final with Tampa Bay at Green Bay, how much is how much are the people at Fox Sports drooling over that possibility? You know, it's interesting. The Cardinals are really good. But in their three losses, all at home, which is weird. Uh, they didn't have Carla, Kyler Murray in one of them. But in the other two, he's thrown zero touchdown passes and four picks. So there's the kryptonite right there. That's why Kyle Winningham preaches turnovers. Because whether it's high school, it's college, it's pro, turnovers will get you almost every time. Really, the only way two or three turnovers don't beat you is if you go out and you have three turnovers, so it's three to three, and that's kind of a wash then. But those interceptions crush them. You don't force turnovers against the Cardinals, you're in a lot of trouble. You're probably getting beat. The Cardinals outgain the Rams by 100 yards almost. Not quite, but almost 100 yards in that game. Ton of offense, ton of great throws, great catches, big plays, plenty of drama. Very entertaining. The NFL has engineered this game with rule changes, some big, some smaller, some little tweaks, some massive changes. Changes, But over the last 40 years, they've really engineered a very entertaining, watchable product. And the ratings on Sunday, I don't see the cable ratings, so I don't know what a Monday Night Football game gets on ESPN. Although that one was also on ABC, so the audience was kind of divided. Uh, but the Sunday ratings were spectacular. That, uh, that Bucks bills overtime game did a really big number. And that Sunday night football game with the Packers and Bears did a really big number. So the NFL, they got, they got it going. They got it going. Now, there are teams. There, there's still stuff at stake here. You know, we got three teams at 10-3. and three. The Cardinals are only one game in front of the Rams, so they haven't won the division. If they had won that game last night, they'd be three games up. It'd be the Cardinals, the NFC West, to belong to the Cardinals. But now the NFC West is very much uh, hanging in the balance. The other divisions, not like not not mathematically clinched, but it would take a complete and total collapse. Cowboys should win the East. Packers, Bucks should win the North and the South. So everything uh, in that regard set, the wild card just wide open and crazy. And the question is, if the Rams don't win the division, then they're probably going to Dallas for the first playoff game. And uh, that would be probably the best game of the first weekend. I have to see how things play out in the AFC. But I think that would probably be the most entertaining game, Rams and Cowboys. You know, you got good quarterbacks. Prescott's a good quarterback. Stafford's a good quarterback. Kyler Murray. But what have any of them done in the postseason? You know, there isn't much of a body of work there. It doesn't mean that someone won't break through. Brady and uh, Rodgers can't win forever. But man, if they're the one and two seed, one and two seeds, the the Bucks haven't lost at home. You gotta you gotta go win in Tampa Bay or Green Bay, and then you gotta go win in the other one. If the Bucks and Packers don't stumble down the stretch, how would you not take those two versus the field? 
Everybody else is going to have to win in one of those stadiums. <laughs> you have to go to Tampa Bay and then Green Bay for the conference final or Green Bay in the second round and then to Tampa Bay for a conference final. That would be rough. That, w- that would be a very rough draw. All right, DJ and PK, enough pro football. Let's talk some college football. We got bowl games this weekend. Blake Anderson with PK and I, and he was on right at the end of the show yesterday at 9.30. And then also, PK and I went up to the U. Kyle Whittingham had availability to talk about Ohio State and the Rose Bowl. You'll hear from those two coaches next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it is time to bring in Utah State football coach Blake Anderson. Coach, good morning. Good morning. Sorry, I'm running a little bit late, guys. Ah, well, when you're a champion, Coach, we get it. We're on your time. <laughs> hey, well, good day. Hey, welcome to the world of uh, signing day, recruiting weekends, early bowl games. Yeah. There you go. That's how my morning's going. First, we want to talk about how you made us look bad. I trusted you, Coach. I did? What do you mean? I trusted you. I, I listened when you talk during the year, and you're like, we're good when we get people in space. But... We're not as physical as some of these teams we're playing. We can get pushed around. I saw the Wyoming game. I'm talking about the conference title game with San Diego State. All they do is push people around. I did say, and it was because you did say, hey, we're pretty good in space. And I saw how Fresno threw for 300 yards. And I said on the air, the Aggies are the underdog, but they got a shot. If you can throw it like Fresno did, San Diego can be beaten. That's the only time they were beaten. But they didn't come close to pushing you guys around. What happened? You know, we we learned a lot about ourselves in the Wyoming loss. And I think it had a huge impact on us, just how we approached the game schematically, the packages that we matched up with them on the field defensively and probably as big as anything, just just the mentality of our guys. They were embarrassed by that game. They we challenged them and we made some adjustments, but honestly we just we just had to go out there and be willing to play that style of ball and they felt um, they went in with a big chip on their shoulder. We wanted to prove that we could play physical ball, that the Wyoming game was not who we are. Uh we we've been putting those guys in that position since we got here. And in that particular Saturday, we just we just were not the team we wanted to put on the field. And, and man, they responded in a huge way. I thought we made good adjustments, X's and O's wise, but mainly our guys were going to prove to everybody that we could play that kind of ball. Even though we're a little bit smaller and we don't, you know, pound for pound, we're not the biggest or, or maybe in the most powerful, but there's a mentality about it. And that's just good old blue collar, you know, roll your sleeves up, you know, go to work. And, and that, that was what we needed on that day. And we got it in a big fashion. I thought myself, and I got hoodwinked by you guys, that uh, winning the Mountain West uh, division, the, the Mountain Division, would be the achievement because, you know, I didn't expect it. I don't know who did. Maybe you did, but the rest of us didn't, uh, objectively. So I was sort of bought into the premise, well, happy to be here type of thing. Great season. Uh, we'll celebrate, you know, and Aztecs are really good. But nevertheless, you just pulverized them and just a shocker to me. So now I'm not going to be hoodwinked this time around, this week. <laughs> it's not about just happy to be here, bowl game. You know, I'm thinking that, and this would be really cool, that you have this opportunity to book in Pac-12 uh, wins here because obviously you opened with Washington State. Uh, speak to what Oregon State presents. We've seen them play. We've seen them beat the Utes, so we know how good they are. Yeah, I, and I think they're playing their best ball down the stretch. Uh, I guess you know the experts say we're seven point underdog. I, I'll be honest; I thought it'd be that, or maybe even a little bit more. 
they are, I think they're really, really good up front on the O line. They're up for some awards there. And the quarterback does a phenomenal job of sitting in the pocket and delivering the ball. They play extremely hard as you watch on tape. You can tell that they're excited about how things are moving in the right direction. And hadn't been to a bowl game in a while, so they'll be excited to be there. Um, there, it's it's you know it's just like we talked about when we played Washington State. It's very similar to the matchups with San Diego State and BYU and, and Boise. Just the length and the size that we see throughout the course of the year, they fit right into that mold. We're gonna have to play our best ball to win. Uh, our guys are not taking the approach happy to be there, take the trip. Season's over. Absolutely not. The opportunity to go nine and uh, you know to go from one and five to eleven and three and have two Power Five wins and a conference title would solidify this senior class and this particular team. You know, really that that'd be the that'd be the best season in school yeah. history. You know, yeah. they yeah. they went eleven and three years back, but were not able to win the championship. Did not have you know two Power Five wins. I mean, this would be. Something that you just you don't ever get a chance to do this, and, and we just I think our guys are hungry to try to finish well. They know the challenge, but to try to finish this thing off, uh, and just it'd be one of those seasons that that you never never forget. Right. So while you're working on that, you also have this early signing day coming up, which has turned out to be a really big deal. But the portals turned out to be a rig- big deal, and you really cashed in on the portal to build this team. And I know the NCAA's got a waiver to the 25 this year, so there's room for a few more portal guys and all that. But how are you deciding, hey, this is who we want out of high school. This is the number of spots we got to hold for kids out of the portal. Um, how and why are you balancing those? It's going to probably be a, a 60-40, maybe 70-30 mix, high school to portal. Because we went so heavy portal a year ago, now we are still going to add – some veteran guys at key positions. I just kind of look at it as free agency a little bit. Um, try to build a solid base of high school kids, and I love the committed class we have. You know, a quarterback, a running back, a great offensive line group, most of them local in the Utah footprint. Uh, a couple dynamic guys on defense. So we, we really love the bulk of this class is high school but we are going to plug in some veteran guys along the way to fill key spots where we're losing a great deal of productivity. And maybe the roster is just not caught up to it yet. Guys need another year to develop. So you're going to see as we go through the holidays, you mentioned the waiver spots. We, we have the ability to use a handful of those right now uh, over the course of the break and, and on into the spring. And we're going to be really kind of strategic to, to place guys in positions where we don't feel like the roster's caught up with a guy that's graduating out. You, you look at Justin Rice and Nick Henniger, uh, Marcus Moore, those guys are leaving. Not sure that we're quite ready to fill that gap. Uh, offensively, a Carson Terrell, I mean, that dude just brings a ton to the table. You know, we're, we're graduating a bunch of wide-out productivity out of the room. So we will, we will attack that. But I would say probably all in all, 60-40 probably would be the, the, probably the biggest split. It may be more in the 70-30 high school to 30% transfer range. And that's kind of my philosophy year to year moving forward in the new landscape of transfer portal, uh, you know, kind of college football recruiting. 
So I'm wondering where do you think Utah State lies in the pecking order of recruiting now? Because you've got just a phenomenal accomplishment in your first season, and so it gives you a ton of credibility when you go out to recruit. Particularly, let's just deal with in-state guys. You know, we we think of Pac-12 now. Basically, all the kids, particularly LDS Mission kids that BYU is recruiting, will literally be be Big 12 recruits. Will you go after those guys, or will you think, hey, our resources and time are better spent towards other guys that we have a more realistic chance to ha- to get. How do you handle all that? What is your thoughts on all that? I think every kid's different. We go to battle on any kid that we think can can bring value to our football program. And we don't we don't really care if they've got a, a power five offer or, or they don't have any offers. We've we've some of the best players we've had in in our program over the course of the last fifteen years or so have been guys that nobody else offered. We saw value. We brought them in. They exceeded everybody's expectations. Guys went on to the NFL and, and played great careers. So we really just look for what fits us, which is always dudes that love ball, guys with high motors, and do they fit schematically? And honestly, do they fit our culture? Just they want to be a part of kind of this environment. It's a it's a family environment. It is uh, it's about accountability and discipline, and they need to be willing to, to kind of be around the group of dudes that that operate the way we do now. We are going to battle head-to-head with a bunch of those people you just named, and occasionally we're going to beat them, and sometimes we're not. You know, we just had a commit flip from Utah to us this weekend. Right. But then we've got guys that we, you know, we've lost battles to Utah, BYU, and Boise uh, as well. We're going to win some. We're going to lose some. Luckily, the footprint has, has got a ton of good players in it. I think the transfer portal kids are looking for something specific. So I think our style of play on offense and defense helps. I mean, we're – top three in the countries in tackles for loss and sacks, kids that want to be a part of that style of defense. Obviously, us throwing the ball and spreading the ball and the numbers that DT has, we're going to attract some wideouts nationally that, that want to be a part of that. So I think that's where you start. You can really compete with anybody in the country for a kid that knows i got a year or two left and I want to be in a very specific program to maximize my numbers in an environment where I can win. I think that's where we um, we can really compete with anybody in, in all of college football. Well, Coach, we appreciate a few minutes. We'll let you get back to the recruiting. Thanks for jumping on, and uh, good luck in the bowl game. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. There is Blake Anderson, Aggie head coach now, PK and I, up with Kyle Whittingham in their indoor practice facility after the practice ended last night, talking Rose Bowl and Ohio State with Kyle. How's preparations going? Good. Second practice was today. Um, we started uh, last week Saturday for, for practice one. Uh, this week we'll go every other day and then uh, start to ramp up from there. But uh, so far, uh, right mindset. Preparation's good so far. And and uh, what we play in 19 days or so. So it'll be here before you know it. Was it kind of like having another off season or almost like a, I guess a fall camp? Yeah, it's kind of like a spring ball. That's uh, and that's what we've said in the past is uh, a bowl prep is almost the equivalent of spring ball. Uh, you get about 15 practices in, you get extra work with your developmental guys, and so it's uh, definitely a, a big plus and a, an advantage. You love to run the ball, obviously, and Michigan and uh, Oregon both had success running the ball against Ohio State. What have you seen there that maybe you could apply and use? Well, they're good team i mean they got players at every level that are that are outstanding um you know when they made they made a change of coordinator they, they certainly got uh, better uh, after that as far as their production and 
and uh, how they were defending people. So we're looking hard at uh, ways we can move the football, but uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. Do you feel like you've got the Pac-12 championship game behind you now? Yeah, we've got it behind us, don't we? Yeah, it was last well, yeah. week. Yeah, but I mean, do you feel like the mindset of the game? Oh, the mindset, certainly. Yeah. Yes, 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 absolutely. That there was another phase to it. Or something. <laughs> no, we've uh, we've kind of uh, had our, you know, our patent, you know, not patting ourselves on the back, but uh, congratulatory, uh, you know, days, and now we're in full-on preparation mode for the uh, Rose Bowl. Uh, in the last few days, you've had Britt and TJ announce that they're leaving. Mm-hmm. Do you leave those announcements up to them, or would you prefer that to be done at a certain time? No, I think any time now is, is uh, fine, and they decided to do theirs early. There'll be some other guys that uh, are in the process of deliberating that if they decide to come out, it could be in the next week or two, or maybe even after after uh, the bowl game. So there really is no set timing for that. Uh, just when the player has made his decisive decision and, and is ready to uh, be definitive about it, then they go ahead and announce it. What's the you most about Ohio State, just looking at the film? Talent. Like I said, they got, uh, you know, on offense, they, the skill group is, uh, they got three, well, 2,000-yard receivers, one guy that's closing in on 1,000 yards, a terrific back. Quarterback is outstanding, a Heisman finalist. Uh, everything. They, you know, it's the number six team in the country, and, and uh, you look at tape and you can understand why. Is this trio of receivers the best group you faced since USC in 2019, or is it just the best group you faced? Could be. Could be. Uh, well, it's definitely the best group since 19. It could be the best group we faced in, uh, that I can remember. I mean, USC has put out some really good receiving cores, but uh, these guys are, are special. Kyle, with that being said, you're banged up on that secondary. Obviously, though, these guys have been young anyway. Are you expecting anybody to maybe return, or is there anything different that, that you would do in this? Uh, you know, we're uh, going through that right now, and we're, uh, you know, there may be some guy or two position change to give us some depth there. Uh, we're still early in that process, but but uh, you know, we are very thin at that position, but we've got to deal with it. Your man's out about C.J. Stroud. Uh, everything. He's, he's uh, first of all, his uh, f- uh, passer rating is like 180-something, which is off the charts good. Uh, he's, a, he's a great leader. He's, he's uh, cool under pressure. He moves well in the pocket. He's, uh, he's just a real talent. I mean, he's, he's got it all. How are you going to deal with their linebackers? Yeah, they got good linebackers as well. Um, just got to, you know, as, as offensive line in the run game, you got to get up to the second level and get hats on them and, and try to get them covered up. But they're, they're good players. Your bowl record was excellent until you had to play those two bowl games after losing in the Pac-12 title game. Yeah. Was there a little emotional hangover there? And do you think with the prep time and a different mindset here, maybe you're back to where you were five or ten years ago? Well, we hope so. But you, you're right. I would say there was a little bit of a hangover and a little bit of a uh, – Oh, I don't know what the right word or how to phrase it, but uh, we weren't quite as uh, sharp in those two games as we have been in, in years past, and hopefully we can get back to playing our brand of football in the postseason. What do you expect on Wednesday signing? You know, we expect good things. We've got uh, we have some really good news in the last uh, 24 hours that, of course, we can't comment on or, or uh, get specific, but uh, we're going to be, in our opinion, exactly where we want on signing day with enough scholarships still left over for portal and uh, you know to cover up transfer losses and try to this compensate isn't, this isn't unique to you but you know you had a, you had a couple quarterbacks in california that you invest a lot of time in before they even get on the field to play a game they take off is there anything that can be done to try to and not specifically you of you but just generally speaking to try to not have to use so much time and resource and effort and then you don't get a payoff <laughs> I don't know what you can do. As, as it stands right now, there's nothing you can do because the rules are what they are, and you can't uh, 
you, you can't prohibit or prevent any of that. And so that's just uh, luck of the draw. You know, sometimes you're going to spend, just like you said, a ton of time on somebody, and, and before you even know what you got, they take off. So that's just the, the world we live in right now. You started preparing these guys to not get caught up in the moment. This is the biggest game of their lives. Uh, playing the Rose Bowl, they grew up watching. Is there anything you can do to, to so they don't, you know, it doesn't overwhelm them? You know, I don't think it will overwhelm them. We've been in some big games this year, national broadcasts on games that were very important, and they handle themselves uh, perfectly, I guess you could say. And then the championship game was a was a huge national stage, and they handled themselves well, well there. So I, my guess is that uh, we'll react uh, and and not be overwhelmed by the the uh, you know the magnitude of the game. There's youth coach Kyle Whittingham. When we come back from football to basketball, our basketball insider Steve Cleveland next. Steve Cleveland's weekly interview with DJ and PK is brought to you by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Steve joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water treatment. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial properties, water costs, or call 877-346-3333. Steve, good morning. Morning, guys. Steve, it's good to have you back. <laughs> it's good to be back. It's been a long off-season, but... With the pandemic and the bubble, I mean, we felt like, you know, basically you were secretary at the Belmont, and we just rode you. That was a mile and a half, so we felt like you needed a real offseason. Get healthy. Get healthy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of talking, man. You might have, you know, strained your jaw or something. I don't know. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious here as we jump in, and we've got some BYU talk for you, and we're going to get to that in a second. But just to start with a little NBA, as we jump into the season here, we've got about a third of the season in the books. Are you surprised that the Warriors are this good and Clay Thompson isn't back? Uh, I am. I am. I, I think that uh, kind of the transformation of Wiggins and Poole um, have just kind of stepped up. I mean, it's hard for anybody to see this because Wiggins struggled mightily in Minnesota and never really reached his potential. But he has bought in and seems to be playing with great confidence and adding him to the mix of Clay. And uh, obviously, with Clay coming back, it's just going to make him that much better. So they, that is a big surprise to me that Golden State would be where they are. I mean, I figured. They were going to be better, but not that better. And everybody seems to have bought in defensively. Um, they're just playing on a string, man. They're so together, and uh, it's fun to watch them play. I mean, they are the funnest team to watch play just because of how quickly they move the ball and uh, take good shots. And, of course, when you have Steph Curry, uh, it's pretty entertaining, and he's having a great year as well. Yeah, he, I've, I put him as my uh, MVP at this point. I figure my uh, my top four MVPs right now. Uh, we're not even, you know, we're just a quarter of the way into it, so it's still a long way to go. Is uh, Curry, uh, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, and then Donovan Mitchell. What do you think? You know, uh, I'm not going to argue. I mean, I hadn't thought a lot about the MVP. I think certainly you can make a case for Steph Curry. I think Kevin Durant's been pretty special as well. Um, and Donovan's having kind of an, an, another signature year. I mean, those are all guys that are going to be in the conversation. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't have any problems or issues with that. Uh, we'll, we'll see kind of how it plays out. They, they have the, they've had the most impact of their teams, 
besides putting up really glossy numbers, they've impacted their teams, and those four teams are the winningest four teams in the NBA right now. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, and then, uh, of course, I think you have to put it out to DeCumbo, too. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just going to say that he's – you, you, I think everybody's kind of falling asleep on them a little bit and thinking, you know, uh, but they're, they're going to be there right at the end. If they stay healthy, uh, I mean, what Brooklyn's doing, I don't think Brooklyn beats them in a seven-game series uh, right now. I, I just don't see that happening. Now, if Kyrie decides he wants to play again, that may change that. But I, I think I'd go with Milwaukee today if, it were, if both teams were healthy. I, th- I think Milwaukee has the better team. Plus the fact they've already done it. And so there's not that question mark anymore. They know what they have to do to do it. So the Utah Jazz make a couple moves in the rotation, not in the starting lineup, but in the rotation with Rudy Gay, Hassan Whiteside. What do you what do you think they have brought? What can they still add? They haven't been here that long. They both missed games, uh, so it's not like they've even played all of them. Uh, Rudy's played about half of them. What do you think they have added well, and can add going forward? Well, I, I think, for, first of all, with Whiteside, I, I think it just gives you another presence in the post. He, he's finding ways to score eight or ten points a game. He's shooting about, I think he's shooting over 60%. Uh, I, I think having another big like that with Rudy, a guy who could play, you know, not necessarily necessarily play together, but they could, but against certain teams. But Whiteside seems to be playing with great confidence and, and a huge gift for them. I, I think that... Uh, just gives them that depth. It's a long season. Uh, you, you can give Rudy more rest as well, and uh, I, I really like that. I, I think that uh, when you look at the Jazz, uh, I, I don't know that I saw Rudy Gay being a guy that was going to step up. I'd kind of forgotten about Rudy Gay, but he's shooting 41% from the three. He's averaging 10 points a game, and again, just having that depth and having the ability to have two veteran guys I mean, we're not talking about young guys here. We're talking about guys who've been in the league quite a while, 10, 11 years. So it's, uh, it's, it's two good gifts. And I, I don't know that anybody, maybe you all talked about it, but I didn't see them having the kind of impact. I mean, you're talking about 16, 17, 18 points a game more, uh, plus just experience. Two guys that have played the game in a lot of different places, and they fit right in with the Jazz. So it makes the Jazz better for sure. And it gives them depth, especially in a long season where injuries happen. And now all of a sudden, if one of the guards gets hurt or a wing, you know, Rudy, you know, he's always there. He's playing. He's playing minutes. And the same thing with Whiteside. So two good gets, uh, really under the radar gets that I didn't think would really impact the team. And uh, I was wrong there because they have impacted it immediately. There was a while, uh, there was a little bit a while back uh, that the team was uh, really struggling shooting. I'm wondering, as a coach, how do you coach shooting, and what do you do? You know, I think a couple things. One, you watch film uh, together with players and and see where the context of of the shots are coming from. Are they contested? Are they not contested? Uh, Are they in, uh, you know, are they part of the scheme? Are we taking part of the scheme, or are we creating a lot of things at the end of the shot clock? So there's a lot of different criteria that you can look at, but it's, once you determine that, hey, technically your shot's fine. It's, it's, it, you know, there's nothing technically wrong with it physically, and that uh, for the most part you're taking good shots. You're playing winning basketball. You're, you're making this is a team that makes the extra pass all the time. 
a lot, a lot of confidence is just a matter of getting guys. I know in practice, for, for instance, certainly there's the opportunity. You get guys lots of shots, and uh, you bring in guys to contest and cre- create a game atmosphere. But then I think when it's game time, you, you put them in, in places where they can succeed and, and run sets early, run quick hitters, do things early on where a guy can – because most – I don't care if it's junior high school basketball to the highest professional level. Once the ball goes in the basket a couple of times, the thing gets bigger and bigger. And for, for guys that are having in shooting slumps, it's just a matter of getting through that mentally. And that once the ball goes in, I, I always think try to get guys to the, to the basket, get fouled. Watch the ball go through the rim after you do that. you know. And, I, and so with some of my better players in college, I'd try to post them up early or get them in a short corner situation where they could go attack. And from there, get to the free throw line, make a couple of free throws. You make a couple of free throws early in a game, and it just, the basket just gets bigger. And, if, if, and I, I kind of really discourage guys from always being the three-point shot being their first shot, uh, especially guys who are – struggling maybe at the time. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with taking threes early when you're open and they're not contested. But for guys that are struggling with shooting, I'd like to see them get to the free throw line, get it to the rim, uh, get something where they can watch the ball go through the basket. And mentally and emotionally, it, it just kind of it clicks in and they get, they get their confidence that way. So uh, those are things I did. And, uh, but, but definitely even as a player, which was a long time ago, uh, I tried to get to the free throw line. I tried to get to the rim, watch the thing go through. And then it, I just always felt it was better that my first shot not be a three, especially for guys struggling. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us. It was a football conversation, but it's uh, bigger than that. It's an athletic department to the Big 12 conversation. Kalani Sataki getting a contract extension is the headliner. But there's assistant coaches to be paid. There's recruiting budgets and facilities and strength and conditioning and training room and on down the line. Uh, how much energy does it take for someone like Tom Homo to move the whole bureaucracy forward and get everyone on board with, hey, we're really going to upgrade what we do. We're going to have to spend more money. we got to re uh, just kind of analyze everything we're doing because competing in the Big 12 is going to be very different for some sports. Some sports are already Sweet 16, Final Four, NCAA champs, and they're there. But other sports, men's basketball and football, this is going to be a big step up. You've been on the inside working at BYU. How big an accomplishment is this for Tom and the athletic administration? I, I think they have exactly the right person in Tom Hallmark to do that. You know, and, and I just look at his pedigree as a player, as a coach, his experiences he's had, and then the time he's had at BYU to really assess and watch. And obviously, he played a significant role in this happening. And, and certainly, the administration at BYU had to be supportive of it. Uh, I can't say enough about the job that Tom Homo's done and, and all, of, all of his guys, his, his whole athletic team. Uh, they, they've been hearing for this. They've put themselves in this position. It hasn't been – I mean, yes, they're, they're going to have to go out and raise more money. Yes, they are going to have to pay coaches more and improve facilities and do all of those things. But it, it just makes sense. It's where they're at. Um, you know, Kalani, I mean, I, I, I've watched him, and, and it, it, what's amazing is how young he is and how he has – it's never easy transitioning to a job, and, and especially a job that's as high-profile as BYU or the University of Utah State. And 
I, I, I've just watched him build a culture there and, and relationship with his players that is second to none. And, and you know, it, I'm not even talking about winning games or schemes or anything else. Is that he has got his guys to completely buy into what they're doing. He's got a great staff, and it's taken a while to develop that staff. You know, nothing happens immediately. But I really, it, it's been really fun to watch Kalani. Obviously, everybody loves his energy and everything. But they're, they're doing the right things with X's and O's, and they've established a culture there that's going to be, you know, continued because they, 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 the athletic department has completely made a commitment to this Big 12. And, uh, and it's not easy. This isn't something that is normal for BYU. I mean, <laughs> but it's a new day. It's a new age. And you can't go into a conference like that and not have to spend money. But um, they seem, everybody seems committed to it. Uh, it, it really, really feels good. And uh, from the coaches, from the very top of the coaching staff with Coach Zaki and, and his assistants and the administrative team, everybody's bought in. It, it just, right now, it just feels really good. There's so many good things happening at BYU throughout all the sports that uh, going into the Big 12 seems to be exactly where they need to be. And, you know, for basketball, it, it's a whole different deal. I mean, I'm not saying they don't have a wonderful football conference, but you're talking about the best basketball conference in the country. And, and I've, I've known several of the coaches there, and, and I've read what I've read about welcoming BYU in. And one of the consistent things that the coaches have all said is, hey, you, you, look, at the, you look at the league schedule and you go, when are we going to win a game again? And, and it's that kind of league. There are no nights off. You've got to travel. You play in front of great crowds, uh, you know, outstanding coaches and great athletes. So it is a significant step up for the men's basketball. And what better guy than Mark Pope and his staff who've done an amazing job. But their, their work's kind of, they know it. I mean, I'm not saying anything they don't know. But that's a whole different world in terms of basketball when you consider the Mountain West, the WAC, the Mountain West, the WCC, where, where you, can, you don't have to play perfect to win. And, uh, and I, I think the other thing, too, is that the Big 12, when they come to BYU, are going to realize that, that, hey, this feels a lot like what it feels like when we go to Texas or when we go here or there, you know, wherever, wherever they're, they're going. If they're at Baylor and it's sold out, they're going to see sold-out crowds. So BYU has an advantage at home, but it is just a, going to be a monster of an ordeal to, to get on top of that. And, I, and I'm absolutely confident that Mark and his staff will do it, but it is completely different than maybe any of the other sports. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. It is just this is going to be a bear of a basketball conference. I mean, it's going to be like uh, like your day playing uh, Utah, New Mexico, UNLV every single game now <laughs> going it, it, forward. Exactly. And, and you know, the thing about it is depth is really important. You know, we've watched. The, you know, they they've lost. You know, Baxter's out and Harward's out. They've lost too big. In a legal, in, in, in the WCC, you can get away with that maybe and, and lose a couple of kids, but staying healthy is going to be really important because you, you can't go on the road in the Big 12 and be down two or three guys, and especially guys that are key players. And, and so keeping guys healthy and, and having that depth, and, and, and I, you know, I, I think in all the sports, they'll, they'll continue to recruit at a really high level. They'll recognize, all those coaches recognize what they're going to need to be successful in whatever sport they have. But specifically basketball, you miss a couple of guys, and man, it's 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 hard to win games. And I, I've been through that when you you have injuries, and so uh, you can get away with it maybe in the WCC a little bit, not so much in the Big Twelve. 
Tom Homo joining, or excuse me, Steve Cleveland joining <laughs> us to talk about Tom Homo and his press conference. You guys, uh, you stay out late last night? Yeah, right. I did. I'm on TV. Most of my blunders happen Monday morning because I'm on TV and I can't go to sleep until like 2 a.m. I can't remember if you do the weekend uh, sports cast yep. as well. Yeah, but yeah. Sunday yeah, night. You got a lot of irons in the fire, brother. Yeah. Jerry West joining us now. Jerry. <laughs> Jerry, so when you hit that half court shot against the Knicks, did you think? Oh, never mind. Go ahead. I'm curious that people see the salaries for the coaches. We know that's important because ADs lose coaches when they don't pay them. But when you're a coach and you're looking at your recruiting budget, uh, the training room, the training table, how the players eat all week long, and then you go to meet with Tom or whoever your AD is, How can you explain to people how big a deal all that stuff is and how, if not you, friends in the profession you know have had knockdown dragouts with administrators over that kind of stuff? I, I think the most important thing, because I know how, I mean, you can't have, uh, head coaches are great. And they're there because of their leadership and because of their experiences and their ability to motivate and lift teams and all that. But number one is making sure your assistants get paid. Nothing disrupts a program more than when outstanding assistant coaches leave for more money or to take a different job or maybe to become a head coach. And so what you the first and foremost, and I, and I have heard Kalani talk about this, but I, I know this myself and I've watched, been around college athletics, You'll, you'll see staffs that stayed together for years. And, and there's so much to the continuity of knowing that the message at the top is getting it's, it's supported all the way down to the grad assistants and the walk-ons and everybody else. So paying your assistants and getting them to stay and stay you know, connected to the program, I think it's first and foremost. And I, I'm sure everybody, I'm sure he's going to get a raise, and, and, I, and I'm sure he appreciates that, and that's all good and good. But... At the end of the day, I got to believe that the most important thing for him is to make sure his guys get taken care of so they can continue this and, and have this continuity and success ongoing. Losing assistant coaches and bringing them in, bringing them up to speed. And I'll say this the other thing, too, that people very seldom talk about. Assistant coaches have great relationships with the guys. They're, they're the ones that are in the trenches. They're the ones that spend a great deal of time with these young men and young women. And so having outstanding assistant coaches is critical. I mean, you can have a good year, but to have continuity and have a good year, a great year, year in and year out, it's your assistant coaches. You take care of them first, the head coach will get taken care of, but you take care of the assistant coaches and the support staff and those people, and there's where you get continuity and you get greatness over the time. Tom talked about how he and his associate, Brian Santiago, were doing deep dives on budgets in the Pac-12, budgets in the Big 12 as they make this transition. The Steve Cleveland influence lives on 25 years later. Who's the guy who brought Santiago to Provo? <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me know it's interesting. Brian and I have, have been good friends a long time. And when Brian played at Fresno State, I was a, uh, a community college coach at Fresno City College. And, uh, and so that's where I first had an opportunity to meet Brian. I'll tell you a funny story about Brian. Brian was a very, had a very successful business there. And uh, he was uh, 
selling all sorts of office supplies and doing different things. I don't remember exactly everything, but he was, you know, he was grinding it out. He was newly married and uh, had a new new baby, and uh, we'd occasionally play together a little bit of city league basketball or get together. I wasn't best friends with him, but we, when we got together, we knew we had mutual respect for each other. And when I when I got the job, uh, Brian came to my home and knocked on the door one night and uh, said, uh, you know, he said, listen, I, I, I'd, I'd love to go with you. And, and, and at first it kind of caught me off guard because we'd never had a conversation like that. And uh, I, I said, first of all, they're going, they're, this, that community is going to struggle with the fact that, that a junior college coach that nobody knows is coming in to coach. And then he's bringing in, you know, Dave Rose and Nate Call, who, you know, other guys that maybe in the state everybody knew Dave was because he was down at Dixie. But the idea that we're bringing in a bunch of junior college coaches, and then I'm going to bring in a guy that's never coached. I said, Brian, I don't know how that could happen. <laughs> you know, and I didn't want to disappoint him. I said, I just don't know. And we ended up talking for quite a while, and we had future conversations. And I started thinking about it. I, I called Rondo Felberg, who was the athletic director at that time, and I said, hey, do you have any kind of ops guy here, position? And, and they didn't have one at, at that time. And so, long story short, I, I ended up convincing Rondo that Brian could really be good for the program. He's had family here, and uh, obviously his brothers have played at BYU. And I said, he'll be good for our guys around them. He's organized. He's a businessman. And we finally got permission to create an ops position. Now, even crazier than that is that Brian and I, so the office space was a little bit limited. You shared an office with you. I shared, (laughs) listen to this, I shared the office with him for four years. (laughs) You know, I don't know if he believes that, but it's true. I saw it. He sat there and he's he's still got a part-time job. He He can't live on an office. So he's still got his business going on. And then he's, he's doing an amazing job with the basketball program, and he's just incredible. You know how Brian infectious he is and how energetic he is. And so finally, uh, after four years, we won the conference and went to the tournament, and he had an opportunity to get into athletic administration. But it has never surprised me that Brian, with his energy and enthusiasm, uh, and he's so good for young people, man, I'm telling you, he, he and, and he's feisty and he goes crazy when <laughs> things aren't right. But I mean, this guy—you want him in battle. He—he's he just that kind of good friend, and we'll forever be great friends. And but I'm telling you, no one would—you know—he had stacks of stuff in my office. I mean, <laughs> I, I should have taken a picture of it because uh, I know nobody believes that I, that that could possibly happen at a Division One level, but it did. No, I saw it, but man. It, it, yeah, you saw it. That's yeah. true. That's true. And it was the best thing for me. Because Brian it was connected to in, in Utah. I mean, he grew up there. He knew people. And that was really a valuable – he was such a valuable resource for me. And, uh, and and David lived in Dixie, but he didn't really have the relationships up there. So, uh, And Nick, Nick Call had some relationships because at the time he was at UBSC. But it was nice to have Brian there. Uh, and and there will be other – I could tell you a few other. We won't do it today. We'll talk about a few of the opportunities. You know how excited Brian gets. Yeah, I love his hot Latin bit. blood. Yeah, he's got it, and uh, that was always not easy control on the bench, but I love Brian, and I I see, you know, him him and Tom, and and I don't want to not include everyone, but I've watched him and Tom work together, 
And when I go up there and uh, both, both of those guys have been at it for a long time and they're, they've just done an amazing job. So yeah, Brian is a very dear, dear close friend. And I have so much respect for Tom and what he's done. None of this happens without that energy of those two. Sitting near him, and I haven't done it in a while, but sitting near him during a basketball game is both thrilling, it's exciting, it's also a little frightening. Yeah, you know, there was a number of times where I would turn to Dave and say, you know, get his butt at the end of the bench. I don't want to hear a word from him. He's yelling at him. I know he's not doing that stuff. No, well, he, he probably is more silently. But when, you, when you're on the bench, uh, yeah, he had to be dismissed at the end of the bench a couple times. <laughs> But uh, it was uh, kids. Kids, I mean, young people loved him. You know, he just he just oozed with enthusiasm, and uh, he, and it, it's, it's so real. You know, not everybody can do that, but it's nice to surround yourself with people who are so positive and so energetic, and uh, and, and I, you know that's one of the things I really like about uh, Kalani and Mark. Uh, they they've got so much enthusiasm, and it's great for the community. It's great, you know. And, and not that I mean, I'm I'm looking at college basketball, and and you know Mark Pope, Craig Smith, uh, you know, to Randy Ray. I mean, good friend, and think all the amazing things he's done. Mark Madsen, uh, Todd Simon, even SUU. I mean, there's wonderful coaches in the state, and basketball is in good hands, and. You know, Utah's going to have to – it'll take a little bit of time, but Craig Smith is a really, really good coach. And, uh, and all, all those guys are. And, you know, obviously you, you had a big win. That's a big win for Mark. But, you know, he won a WAC title. I, I love where basketball is at in the state. I mean, you have outstanding coaches. And, uh, you know, Utah really is – I mean, it, it's, it's because it, – most states, you know, you talk about football first, but for, for Utah – Basketball's right there. There's just been so many wonderful coaches and players come out of that state, and basketball's in a really good place right now. I mean, Utah may not feel like they're where they need to be, but Craig Smith's going to get it done there. There's no question about that. Steve, we got to run. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. See you guys. Have a good one. There's Steve Cleveland. What is trending? All the headlines coming up next. Stay with us.